a picture captures a moment. When, when you look back at a, at a picture, think of maybe one of your favorite pictures, and you think about who you were with, where you were, were, about where you were, what kind of emotions were going on in your life at that time. You, you think about a picture and how it can stir your heart. A picture is worth a thousand words. Baptism is a picture. Baptism is, is a picture of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus. And behind every baptism story, there are thousands and thousands of words of people who shared the gospel, of people who were faithful to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, of a friend who reached out to someone who didn't know Jesus, of one coming to uh, a point in their life of saying, look, I know I've trusted him and now I want to follow him fully. Baptism is a picture. It is a proclamation of our faith that we are trusting Jesus alone. It is not only a proclamation, but it is a recognition of Jesus being alive and then dying and rising from the dead as the only way of salvation. And then it is a mark of identification that as Jesus died and rose, I am identifying with him as the one who is the savior of my life. So today, we're going to kind of move out of Malachi for a week, and we're going to look and talk about why do we baptize. Acts chapter 8. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. The story really picks up in verse number 26. Philip is preaching in an area of Samaria, and the Holy Spirit gives him a nudge and tells him that he is to go down to a road between Jerusalem and Egypt. And he follows the message of God's Spirit. So we pick up together in verse number 29. It said, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the Ethiopian, the eunuch, answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. With that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today, and uh, Lord, would you uh, just move, move in this place in a special way. Thank you for how you've already shown your presence, and God, we just ask that you would do it again. 
in the awesome and wonderful and powerful name of our resurrected Lord Jesus. Amen. Philip is preaching in an area of Samaria, and he's seeing many come to know Jesus as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit gives him a nudge and says, I want you to go down to this road that leads from Jerusalem down into Egypt. So he goes, and as we pick up in our text, we find that he is there, and he sees a chariot, and again, the Holy Spirit nudges him and says, go and overtake this chariot. And there, as he steps up to the chariot, he meets a man who has been up in Jerusalem to worship. This man is an Ethiopian. He has great authority and great responsibility in the kingdom of Ethiopia. He is the national treasurer. So he is a man of, of great uh, of authority in, in the country of an area of Ethiopia. It also, the Bible says, that he is a eunuch. Now, in these days, as kings would gather together large harems, they did not want any uh, other men to, to get in and infiltrate or to have lustful desires, and so they made him a eunuch. And so he has the, this awesome responsibility, and he has this, this searching in his heart and life as he travels up to Jerusalem to try to, to worship and figure out what is going on. He is, he is seeking. He is looking for answers. He's looking for spiritual answers. And he comes away, and he's reading in the book of Isaiah. And as he's reading from Isaiah 53, he is confused about who Isaiah 53 is ultimately talking about. Philip then explains it to him, and then he sees water and says, I want to be baptized. Now, as we think about baptism, and as we've already shown in baptism, I, I want us to, three, to see actually three kinds of pictures that take place as we look in Acts chapter 8 that answer the question on, on why we baptize. There's, there's a couple of intermediate steps that have to happen before one goes into the baptismal waters. First off, we find that as Philip goes up into the chariot and sits next to this man, that the message of Jesus is clearly shared. Notice, as we look here in Isaiah 53, uh, as we look in in Acts 8, he points him uh, back to Isaiah 53. And notice in verse number 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So from the Old Testament, Philip now is going to preach Jesus. So if you have your Bibles and you can slide back to Isaiah 53 just for a moment, let's catch the context of where he's reading. He's reading from, at this very moment, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 7. But what precedes Isaiah 53, 7? Isaiah 53, 6, okay? So let's jump into Isaiah 53, 6 where it says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on him, the iniquity of us all. Then it goes on, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. And then the part he's reading, yet he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. So Philip takes this moment and he begins to share and preach the message of Jesus. And by the way, Philip was not a preacher per se. Philip was one of the early servants of the church. 
So he, as he's preaching, and we think about his serving as a, as a deacon, we think about his serving. As he's preaching Jesus, he is ultimately one-on-one sharing the message of Jesus, which is something that we can do, that we don't really have to have a calling to vocational ministry to do. Now, in Isaiah 53, 6, it tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way, and God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then he comes to ask that question about Isaiah 53, and he says, is he talking about the prophet? Is he, what, what exactly is he talking about? He's preaching Jesus, and here's his message. Jesus died to pay or to take the penalty or the punishment for our sin. Jesus died to take the punishment for our sin. That's Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. There has been a moment in your life, and you might be a very good person, a very moral person, a very upright person, but you know in, in your life, there has been some time in your life where you have thought something or said something or done something that has displeased God, and so you are disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. But he says this, that Jesus was like a lamb uh, led to the slaughter. What is that talking about? that Jesus was going to die and take the punishment for our sin. Notice down in Isaiah 53 and and verse number 8, he says this at the end of that verse, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Jesus died to take the punishment for our sin. And then we find that Jesus not only died, but then Jesus rose from the dead. In verse 8, it says he was cut off from the land of the living. But then notice in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse number 10, halfway through, when you make his soul an offering for sin, again, paying the punishment for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days cut off from the land of the living he is he dies but the lord in isaiah 53:10 says he will prolong his days so that as we think about jesus and as philip is explaining jesus he's not commemorating someone who died he's recognizing someone who lives who died to pay the penalty for our sin take the punishment for our sin but now lives and then philip drives home that jesus alone can provide salvation. It's by Jesus alone. Jesus alone. It is not by Jesus plus works. It is not by Jesus plus baptism. It is not by Jesus plus communion or the Lord's Supper, whatever you desire to call it. It is not Jesus plus coming to church. It is Jesus alone. Now, as we think about that, I was thinking back years ago when I was living in Memphis area and was going door to door and knocked on a door and a lady answered the door and uh, could tell that uh, she was of Asian descent and so began to just ask spiritual questions to try to get a spiritual conversation going. And, and when I talked about Jesus, she said this, look, I believe that there are many ways up the mountain to God. Many ways up the mountain to God. And then I said, you know, the real problem is, is none of us are good enough to get up to the mountain to God. So God came down from the mountain in the person of Jesus. So that in John 14, 6, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by 
He did not say he was a way. He did not say he was even a good way or even the best way. He said he is the way. This is definite in its, in its articulation that, that Jesus is the only way. So scene number one is the message of Jesus was clearly shared. Secondly, we see in this passage that the, then the message of Jesus was inwardly received. The message of Jesus was inwardly received. After hearing this, this message of Jesus from Isaiah chapter 53, and what a great message it was, he's preached Jesus to him. We find then that this, that this Ethiopian man says, hey, there's, there's water here. Why can't I be baptized? Notice verse 36. What hinders me from being baptized? He thought, hey, I've, I've heard this message. Now, now what if I want to get baptized? And Philip Drives home. Now, we don't have all the details of this conversation, and some of the older manuscripts, some of these verses are not even there in their totality, but the message of this is clear throughout all of Scripture. So now, Philip turns around and says to this guy in verse number 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So there's a challenge here. And the challenge is, you can be baptized if you believe. The challenge is if you believe. Now, he's not talking about just a mental assent. There there are people all around the world who believe that Jesus walked on the earth. There are many people that believe that Jesus died. There are some that think Jesus then rose again too. But it's all just mental assent. There's no actual faith to this. It's kind of like head knowledge, not heart knowledge. Do you realize in James chapter 2 and verse number 19, James confronts the believers and says, you believe, or the, the, his, his Jewish congregation that he's writing to and says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. Can I tell you, there's not one demon atheist. There's not. They all recognize who God is. Can I tell you, there's not one demon who, who, who doesn't know that Jesus died on the cross. There's not one demon that does not know that Jesus rose from the dead. They all know it. There's mental assent. And so as we scan the, the, the globe today, there are many people who say, oh yeah, I heard that in one time in Sunday school. Oh yeah, yeah, somebody talked to me about that one time, that Jesus died and that Jesus rose. And man, what a great story it is. I, 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 I kind of know about that. The truth here that he challenges this Ethiopian man with, if you believe with all your heart, There has to be a faith aspect to this. More than just mental assent, there is this faith alone that says, I am trusting Jesus as the one who died on the cross for my sin, rose from the dead, and he's the only way of salvation. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto, or for with the heart one man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is this heart faith that says, man, I am putting all my faith in Jesus alone. As I sit on this stool and I lift up my feet, I am placing all of my weight, all of my faith that this stool is going to hold me up. And when I say 
say, I believe Jesus. And when Philip drives home, you must believe Jesus. It's saying, I'm taking everything of who I am, all my heart, and I'm trusting Jesus as the only way of salvation. That's what he's saying. The challenge. But then we see the confession. Notice the confession then that comes. As Philip challenges this Ethiopian, he says this in verse number 37. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe. So his confession is, man, I do believe that Jesus is the son of God. Now he doesn't say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus was the son of God who died. He said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Fully God, fully man, fully alive. I believe he places his faith in Jesus alone. Alone. That's what Philip had shared, the message of Jesus. And this is what he received, the message of Jesus. His confession, I believe. Then the message of Jesus clearly shared. The message of Jesus inwardly received, then we see this third picture. The message of Jesus is outwardly expressed. The message of Jesus is outwardly expressed. So they're in the chariot together. Philip is explaining the message of Jesus. He is hearing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the Old Testament was pointing to the one that who in, in, uh, the, the end of the gospel of, the end of the gospels would die and rise from the dead, and the Holy Spirit who came in Acts chapter 2, and Peter preached the message that, hey, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is Lord and Christ. And Philip says, man, I, I am putting all my faith in that. And then we move and we see in verse number 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And then in the beginning of verse 39, it says, now when they came up out of the water, he came up out of the water. So there's four essential things that we need to know about baptism. First off, baptism is not part of salvation. Baptism is not part of salvation. If you read throughout the Gospel of John, you're going to find that the word believe is used 90 plus times. Jesus was calling people to believe, believe, believe. So baptism is not part of salvation. The second thing is Baptism follows belief. Baptism always follows belief. So when one comes to put their faith in Jesus alone as the only way of salvation, baptism is not part of that salvation experience, but baptism then follows that. You say, uh, well... Can you back that up with scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked. So take your Bibles, if you're in the book of Acts, and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And and have your Bibles ready, or at least write these verses down for future reference. Acts chapter 2, and we pick up in verse number 41. Acts 2, 41. Write these verses down. This, this is important for us to know. Do, do you realize this is, this is really a distinct mark of our faith? This is a distinct mark that we say baptism does not give grace. It does not get anyone to heaven. Instead, it's not part of our salvation. Instead, it is a symbol that follows belief in Christ. Notice in Acts 2.41, it says this. Then those who gladly received 
his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So, so notice in verse 41 of Acts 2, they received the word and then they were baptized. Take your Bibles and look over in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. We're in Acts chapter 8 toward the end, but pick up at Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. It says in Acts 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So what's What's Philip preaching? He's preaching about the kingdom of God, and he's preaching about the name of Jesus Christ, and they have believed, and then it says at the end of that verse, both men and women were baptized. Then look over in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 14. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 14. It says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. She had believed in God, but she had not yet come to faith in Jesus. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to believe these things, to heed the things which were spoken by Paul. So the Lord opens her heart. She heeds the, the, the things taught by Paul. She believes them. She receives them. And then in verse number 15, and when she and her husband were baptized. Then we look over in Acts chapter 18. Let's look at Acts chapter 16 one more time. Acts chapter 16, verse number 31. Paul is in a jail in Philippi in Acts 16, 31. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then notice in verse number 33, it says, he took them the same hour, the jailer takes them home and he washed their wounds. And it says, immediately him and his family were baptized. What happened? Belief. And then baptism. And then over in Acts chapter 18 and verse number 8. It says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Okay? So, so understand, as, as we look at this, baptism in Scripture throughout all of the New Testament always follows belief. Okay, we clear? We understand? Because this is essential. This is essential for us. Baptism follows belief. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I was, I was baptized as an infant. And that may have been a very meaningful, spiritual and, and emotional moment for your parents. But you weren't able to understand the truth of Jesus yet. And what we find in Scripture is baptism always follows belief. Matter of fact, there, there are no instances in the New Testament where an infant is baptized. There are just no instances. And I don't say that to be mean. I just say it out of, out of love and care and say, look, if, if, if someone's relying on an infant baptism in order to get to heaven and to remove sin, that is not in Scripture anywhere. It's not. Baptism always follows belief. There are some times that children will baptize several children next hour, but children make a, a decision and then come find out when they're a teenager or they're in college or they're in their early adult years, they, they, they realize, you know what, I just walked that aisle because my, my little second grade friend did and I was baptized and I said the stuff, but I really, I just did it because they did. 
And then they came to faith later. And they truly put their faith in Jesus later. Can I tell you? Baptism follows belief. It always does. When we were in Georgia, David and I, we had one of our uh, ladies who was a spiritual pillar in our church, who was baptized as a child. But she said, you know, I really, I, I, the Lord has spoken to me about this for years. And I really came to faith later. But I've just, I, out, of, out of a sense of pride, I've not wanted to get baptized. But while I was there, she was baptized. Why? Because in Scripture, baptism always follows belief. You can challenge me. You can read the New Testament. I encourage you to. The only arguments on baptism are arguments from silence where it talks about baptism and the whole household being baptized. And that's an argument from silence. So what it really means is baptism always follows belief. Third, baptism is by immersion. Baptism is by immersion. Why? Let me give you three reasons. First off, the word baptizo means to immerse, to dunk, to plunge. Okay, that's, that's what it means. When you look in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 9 and you see Jesus' baptism, it says that they both came up out of the water. Here in Acts chapter 8, they both came up out of the water. There is a picture in which baptism means to immerse, to dunk, to plunge. That's what, it, that's what the Greek word means. That's what it means. But then we ultimately see that baptism not only means immersion, but the reason baptism is by immersion, because baptism pictures the death and resurrection of Jesus. When someone gets baptized, what they are doing is they are picturing in their faith that I believe that Jesus died and was buried and Jesus rose again. It is picturing what happened in, in Jesus' life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it tells us Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. We take portions of, of Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4 as we think about this next part. Pick, immersion not only pictures the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it pictures what happens in our life as well. As the Lord buries that old life of sin and then gives us a new life in Christ. So baptism pictures salvation in our own life, our death to sin, and our new life in Christ. We, and you hear me say, when someone is baptized, we're baptized, uh, we're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That is from Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4, okay? That, that is, as Christ is baptism, we are like baptized unto his death. And that he is risen and we're given a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. What it does mean is we're alive in Christ and we are forgiven as our shirts proclaim. That as we are baptized, our old life of sin is buried. It's gone. The Lord Jesus has paid the penalty for all of our sins for all time. And now we have the Holy Spirit in our life and we are alive in him. So... Baptism, not part of salvation. Baptism always follows belief. Baptism is by immersion. And fourthly, baptism is a step of obedience. It is a step of obedience. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse number 19, as Jesus is giving his great commission, in verse 18, he remember, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, I want you to go 
and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So why, why is that a big deal? You, you realize that in many foreign countries, when they take that public step of baptism, of identification with Christ, for many, that is a death sentence. There are many parts in the world. Oh, they can say that they believe about Jesus and that they, they have a Bible sometimes even. But when they identify with Jesus and they proclaim their faith that they believe Jesus died for their sin and he uh, was buried and rose again, that mark of identification is the central symbol. That means that they're leaving their faith, and they're identifying with Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. I don't know where you are today, but, but for some of you, I would challenge you. I would challenge you with this. If, if you've not followed the Lord in believer's baptism, then, then your baptism is going to be a picture that has more than a thousand words of how God led you and directed you and brought you and brought you to a place of hearing the gospel and understanding sin and recognizing that Jesus alone is the only way of salvation and receiving that conviction and that check of the Holy Spirit and then saying, I receive Jesus, I trust Jesus, and then proclaim him to everyone. So, I don't know where you are today. But I can tell you this, baptism follows belief. And if you've believed, but you've not taken that next step in baptism, then you're missing the, the vast joy of that first step of obedience and saying then, I'm identifying and walking with Jesus. Too many times we want to jump that step. This, I wear my wedding ring. My wedding ring is a symbol. It's a symbol that I'm married. When people see that I have a ring on my finger, they know I'm identifying as a man who is married. Matter of fact, I got my Valentine card from my wife this morning. She gave it to me early. She said, I hope you like a different one this year. So anyway, if you were here last year, you, last week, you understand that. So anyway, she did pick me out a different card. Listen, my dad was an electrician. For 40 plus years, he worked at Union Electric at Ameren. And because of that, he couldn't wear a ring. He was still as married and, and still is married. But I want to tell you, that ring is an important symbol in my life. And when we say, Jesus, I'm trusting you, what I'm saying and proclaiming to others is Jesus not only died and rose for me, but he's important enough for me to say, I'm staking my claim and identifying all of my spiritual life with him alone as the only way of salvation. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. And uh, Lord, uh, 
we, we just pause and thank you for Jesus and for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness of sin and new life that comes in Jesus alone. And, and Lord, I, I, I humbly but confidently just, Lord, believe today that there are, there are some more people who just need to get their baptism right. That step of obedience and identification. So, Lord, would you just speak and move um, through your spirit? May we be people who share the fact that we believe Jesus with all of our heart and we confess him before others. In your name.